Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. The gifts for a king as we are looking at our series uh, for this Christmas. And I just want to take us, and I'm going to read in a few seconds, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So if you're not there, uh, go ahead and get there. But I want to set it up so when I read it, when we read it together, you can, can hear uh, and understand what's happening. There's so much going on in this text. Um, you know, first, and I call it the star followers, right? So there's this group of people, uh, your translation might say, uh, wise men might say magi, uh, the same people. But who these people are, are people that are, we know are very highly educated. Okay, very highly educated. Um, they have some sort of diplomatic status, right? They are received by, you know, kings and stuff as they come in. And they are very, very uh, studied and astute in astronomy, right? Uh, they are uh, studied in religious study and history. We know they know Jewish history. They understand well prophecy. Uh, so they're very learned people. And they travel, you know, we always say, um, you know, the three wise men, uh, you know, and we say that because of the three gifts. And we simply know there's more than one for sure. But just looking at what their payload was, they were bringing treasures of high, high value. You know, we talked about it each week, just the value of the gifts that they were carrying in their treasure. Um, says they would not have been traveling with just three people. Remember, they are gonna go up to Jerusalem. And you've heard a biblical story, the Good Samaritan, right? If you hear about that, we know how dangerous the path up to Jerusalem is. Um, and they took that, and if the gifts they had with only three of them would have been in big trouble. Right? So more likely not, they had an entourage with them. And this is a picture that depicts that, what that might look like as they were coming. Now, where they come from tells us they came from the east. And there's a lot of things in there that points that they came from the uh, Parthian kingdom. And the Parthian kingdom, as you see here, Parthia is a, a giant kingdom that borders Rome to the east. Um, and it was right basically in the center and the north of that were what they called the Silk Road. And the trade from China to the west, Rome, came through there. So they are extremely wealthy. You know, more likely how, how they afforded these gifts that they had, which are so rare uh, and so expensive. Um, but they are very, very uh, wealthy, very powerful, lots of skirmishes uh, with Rome. Now, they were coming, they say, to worship the king of Jews, okay? So they understood Jewish prophecy. Numbers 24, 17, uh, Balaam prophesizes about the star of Jacob that will be a sign of the king of Israel. So they knew that prophecy. They understood it because they were following his star, right? And the star is... a. Uh, Interesting. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Star of Bethlehem by Rick Larson's his name. Uh, and um, it, here's the movie. Watch it. It's, it's a bit nerdy, just so you know, um, <laughs> uh, but it's good. So he has taken and looked at the star and just did a, an incredible deep study of it. And just, uh, and the scriptures just come alive with this star, Star of Bethlehem. Uh, it's re referred to a lot. Uh, but they were following this star. 
They were following the Jewish prophecy. They understood that something was happening in this time in history, something huge, something major. They said when they got there, we have come to worship the king of the Jews. They understand there's like 300 messianic, they call it, uh, but prophecies about Jesus alone. And they understood it. And they were coming to worship the king of the Jews. Now that brought a certain tension to it, okay? And a little history, um, again, a little more nerdy stuff. If you like this, awesome. If you don't, I apologize. But here, um, Herod was uh, the Roman ruler over Israel, okay? In Jerusalem. They came to him. Now, Parthia, uh, about 60 years earlier, um, when Julius Caesar was assassinated in Rome, okay? Uh, and so Parthia says, hey, Rome is busy right now, a little preoccupied with Caesar's assassination. They came in and attacked Israel and actually took over Jerusalem. Herod was about 25 years old. He just about lost his life. So he runs to Egypt and ultimately up to Rome. So Rome gets settled out, right? Uh, Parthia is, has Jerusalem. And Rome says, okay, well, Herod, you seem like kind of a, my words, a mean guy. So we're going to send you back. We're going to give you a title, though. You're going to be called King of the Jews. And you're going to go down there and you're going to oversee this area. So you go down there and, you know, kick them out. You know, you, you know what they mean, right? Go get them. And you can have as much military as you want. Go get them. Go get Jerusalem back. So Herod comes back king of the Jews and kicks out the Parthians and sends them back home. And so roughly 40 some 50 years later, here Herod is, and guess who rolls up into town in a big entourage? The Parthians, right? It says in your scripture that all Jerusalem was troubled. Why? Because they got overtaken decades in recent times. Herod, we know, is a paranoid guy because of this. And so he ends up, he kills his sons because he was afraid they were going to overthrow him. He kills his own wife. He thought she might overthrow him. That's how nervous he is. So we know how this story goes, Jesus' birth. He ultimately calls for the execution of every child below the age of two, every son. Right. Now you understand how paranoid Herod was. And when they said, we have come, and I love this, to worship the one that was born the king of the Jews. Not the one who was given the title by the power, but who God himself bore, right, to be the king of the Jews, the rightful king of the Jews. So why was Herod all worked up? Because of this. There's a lot of tension in this. And they came following this star. Uh, you know, again, you can study the star. And so we're going to read Matthew 2, 1 through 11, and hopefully just understand the tension of what's happening here and the power and the beauty of, of Scripture uh, and history coming together. So let's read it together. Matthew 2, verses 1 through 11. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. 
And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for, he, for so it is least written by the prophets, and you, O Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse seven. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly uh, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word and I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And I think this is an important thing. They went on their way. You're gonna find out they don't listen to him, okay? They went on their way and behold, the star that had been seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was born. And you're gonna learn if you watch the movie I told that the star's probably planets in their uh, kind of rare orbit and the perspective of us on Earth, which is a moving target watching these, uh, sometimes these stars look like they stop. So anyway, so a, a phenomenon there. Um, let's see, after listening to King, when, uh, verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So it's a powerful, powerful story of these um, wise men, I'll call them, and their travels and what was happening in history, what was happening in our biblical history and prophecy. So it's just this beautiful, powerful moment that this child was born. And so these gifts um, that we see given are gifts fit for a king. You know, Damien in the first week talked about gold. You know, gold is what you give a king. Gold has the highest value of the time, you know. And so for us, Damien challenged us, what value, how much do you value God? What are you giving him that's of value from you? And he wasn't talking about gold necessarily, but a value, of deep value. Something that would cost you, sacrifice. And the last week, Pat, uh, you know, both of them did a great job. Pat did an amazing job with frankincense. You know, this resin, this oil this, uh, uh, that you'd burn, and um, this incense that uh, it talked about uh, Jesus as God, the deity, that this deity is the one that can hear our prayers, that God can hear our prayers and answer our prayers. Uh, so he is God, and so as we as people go to him, because of that this child is God and has provided us access. Pat took us through uh, the tabernacle and the access in prayer and how this frankincense represented that, this incense, uh, us going to him. And I love this part that he pointed out from Revelation, that it was sweet to him, that our prayers to God are sweet to him. And we get to go to him. And I hope that you, you are moved by both of we bring what's of worth to him uh, and then we can go to him personally, and he loves it. He's a good father. Today, we're gonna look at the third gift that they pulled out of this treasure. It's called myrrh. And understanding myrrh, myrrh and frankincense are cousins, if you would. 
okay? And they are harvested the same way by scratching trees and letting them, you know, the sap kind of bleed and taking that in, letting them solidify and then using them. The difference of myrrh, it is uh, from trees that are more readily available. Still scarce, still in a really small portion of the region. So they're high, high value, but they're more readily available. And so there are more uses. So you read through your scriptures and you look at myrrh, you'll see myrrh had more uses. And so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of peel open some of these uses so that we can understand more of what the message is. What were these wise men acknowledging when they brought myrrh to Jesus? Now the first thing that I believe they were acknowledging is that Jesus is our Savior. That Jesus is our Savior that this is the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world. He has come to the world to save all people, including them. Because remember, these are Gentiles that are bringing these gifts. These aren't Jewish people. They have some Jewish influence, um, but they're from a Gentile nation and have some Gentile influences. Uh, and here they are making a profession by the gift of myrrh um, that Jesus is their Savior. And they pointed out as they were acknowledging him as savior, they pointed out that this child is the anointed one. That this child is the anointed one. Uh, Exodus chapter 30, Moses is given charge to uh, establish the tabernacle and things in it. Well, one thing that God told him to do is, I want you to make this recipe. Um, And the main ingredient is gonna be myrrh. And it's gonna be called anointing oil. This is it, actually from Israel, okay? When I was there, I got it. Um, And, you know, so this is primarily myrrh. Um, And I want you to use uh, this oil to anoint everything in the tabernacle, all of the elements, and it will be holy. And whoever touches it will be holy. Then I want you to take this oil and I want you to anoint Aaron, right, as a priest and his sons. You know, the people that I am going to use, because what holy, if you look at Exodus 30, verse 25, it says, you're going to make this recipe, if you would, um, and it's going to be my holy anointing oil. And what the word holy means is set apart for divine purposes. When we refer to something as holy, whether it's places, right, whether it's things or whether it's people, and we say they're holy, it is set apart for a unique divine purpose by God. And so uh, myrrh, they understood this is, is for anointing, and they understand the prophecy that there is coming one day an anointed one, somebody that's going to be anointed for unique work by God. And I want to take you to to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 is the centerpiece of biblical prophecy. So some of you are probably super excited that I said Daniel 9. You can't wait. I'm probably going to disappoint you a little bit, okay, because that's not this message. I'll touch on it. Um, But it's the centerpiece for biblical prophecy. And what it does is it tells us about something that's coming. And I believe these wise men were fully aware of this and why they brought myrrh. So Daniel 9, verses 24 and 25. 
Listen to this. And I put it in the New Living Translation trying to help a little bit with some of the uh, math. Uh, a period of 70 sets of seven. So seven in the Bible is uh, the seven years of Sabbath, okay? So I know it's crazy. Okay? Um, so this is basically saying 70 times 70 years, which is 490 years, okay? Uh, and this is the prophetic picture. That's why this is a centerpiece of prophecy in the Bible, because it actually gives dates and times, and it has perfect. It's beautiful. Um, a period of 70 sets of seven, 490 years, has been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion, to put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision, and to anoint the most holy place, which I believe is the third temple. Now, listen and understand, seven sets of seven, 49 years, okay? And you'll see it's in three uh, chunks, uh, this 490 years. The first is 49 years, and getting a little ahead here, it is the time that um, King uh, Artaxerxes from Persia sent the Jews who were in exile, Daniel, right, and sent them back, Nehemiah, right? Uh, Daniel's in exile, Nehemiah's the one sent back uh, to rebuild Ezra, the, uh, the wall and the temple in Jerusalem. So that starts this time frame. So that 49 years is when they're rebuilding, plus 62 sets of seven, 434 years, totaling 483 years, will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem. Nehemiah chapter two. Listen to this. Until a ruler, a ruler, the capital anointed one, there's an anointed one coming that will atone for, again, bring everlasting righteousness, put an end to sin, this anointed one. And they knew, these wise men, that that was coming. They knew um, after the 483 years that this anointing would come and deal with the sins of the whole world. And just so you know, from the time in Nehemiah 2 that they were sent, to the triumphal entry that we celebrate around Easter, Jesus going into Jerusalem and then ultimately dying for our sins, um, to the day, to the day it measures out. So they understood this prophecy, so they understand this window of time, that it's sometime in this that this is gonna happen. He's gonna be born in order to go do these things, this anointed one, uh, and other prophecies led to them being ready and understanding when they saw his star, here he comes. And they came to visit him. So they understood that there is an anointed one coming. So did King Herod. Remember in Matthew 2 and I read, they came and they said, we're here to uh, worship the king of the Jews. And it goes on. Did he call him the Christ, the wise men? No, who called him the Christ? Herod. He went to his people, tell me when this Christ is gonna be born. He understood what they understood. Now, he didn't study, he didn't know, he wasn't a follower, but he says, okay, they're on, I know what they're on to, and here they are, what they're asking for, um, and he says, tell me when this Christ was born, or where he's gonna be born, because he's setting his plan in motion. So this Christ, what he understood, uh, it's not Jesus' name. Jesus' name is Jesus. It's a title, and it means the anointed one. So Herod says, when is the anointed one gonna be born? 
When is the one that God has set apart for his special purposes to do something only God could do, right? And that is atone for sin and make man right with him. And they did this and they said, could be in Bethlehem. But he says it's Christ, this anointed one, which means Messiah. He's our Messiah. It means deliverer. So when you hear Jesus Christ, understand these titles that are coming and they're about his work and what he can do. It's about him being the rescuer. So when these wise men come and offer myrrh, they understand it is an anointing oil to anoint um, the Holy One. They, did they anoint him? No, they're making an acknowledgement. We understand who you are. And here is our tribute to it. We want you to know we get it. We understand who this child is. And this child is our rescuer. This child is our rescuer. We know it. Have you ever been rescued before? Anyone ever come and rescue you? We are fascinated with rescue stories, aren't we? Something that surprised me. I was thinking about this point. And boom, I said, oh, I remember Jessica McClure. When did that happen? It happened in 1987, right? Baby Jessica, um, you young people have no idea, you probably weren't even born yet. I couldn't believe I remembered it, but I remembered um, this little child, 18 months old, fell in this well, uh, abandoned well in the back of her yard and was there for, I think, 48 hours, 50 hours or something. Some of you remember that? See, some of you, come on, come on, help me out, some of the old people. Um, um, but I remember, because the whole country, the whole world was the edge of our seats watching this rescue. It happened in 2010 down in Chile, right? Remember the miners? I mean, they were there for a couple months, right? It was crazy. These miners are down there. Um, and this is one of the first guys that came out, and uh, uh, it took forever to find them because they're like a half a mile deep buried. You know, uh, a little more recent, 2018. Remember Thailand? The kids in the soccer team went out for a little outing, and all of a sudden the rains came a bit early, and they were trapped in this cave and there's incredible rescue. I think it took 13 days, if I remember right, to get them out. And you can see, this is a photo of them in the cave once they got contact with them and they could take a picture. And there they are. The whole world watched. Why? And because, first of all, the danger, right? It's riveting. It's like, whoa, it's crazy. Um, but we understand that the whole moment is on death's doorstep. Death can come at any moment that this is a scene that should kill them. And we understand that. And so we're like, whoa, this is bad. We understand they can't save themselves. We've heard now enough details, and now we're gonna watch because we understand they cannot save themselves. Can't do it. They need a hero. Who's gonna be the hero? And we wait and we watch. For months, in one case, uh, I don't know how long 1987 was. That was a long time ago. <laughs> and I could remember. As soon as I, I knew, I knew the girl's name. It's crazy. Like, whoa, that's how deep it was seared into my memory. Because we all love a rescue story. Well, these wise men came and offered myrrh because they understood that Jesus is the Savior. And he's going to rescue them. He's the rescuer. See, Christmas is about a rescue story. It's not about just a baby. 
but it's about a rescue that should bring you to the edge of your seat and you should be riveted because what hangs in the balance is dangerous, death, and we can't save ourselves. But there's a hero. And right now they're understanding. They know what this child will grow and do and what it means. And so they are proclaiming, you are the anointed one. You are the rescuer. What if, what if you changed how you did Christmas this year and you treated it like a rescue story versus just a holiday you have to do and get enough presents and go to the 45 houses and eat tons of food, which I love everything about it, I just said, just, right? <laughs> so what if it was a rescue story? Does that change how we go about it? Absolutely. How did he accomplish this? Myrrh uh, also was an embalming oil they used. So we understood, they understood that this child was gonna be the offered one too. That this child is gonna offer himself up. That this child is going to die. You know, where you really see myrrh used as an embalming oil is um, Nicodemus. When Jesus dies, okay, if you look at John 19, verse 39, what we see in this scene, you know, Jesus has a, a borrowed uh, tomb from Joseph and, and they're going to bury him. The Sabbath's coming, so they've got to hurry. And all of a sudden, you see Nicodemus show up. And this is nuts. Just so you know, this is crazy. He shows up with 75 pounds of myrrh. Now, that is worth $200,000 today, just to put it into perspective, okay? $200,000 worth of myrrh he shows up with. He comes up because, see, these wise men understood that this child is going to die and, and myrrh represents embalming and they, they get it, say, we know, child, where this goes. And we're acknowledging this. We understand it. Nicodemus, when Jesus died, he says, I remember what you said. I remember what you said. That you're going to die and you're going to rise again. And so, he came with us. Why so much myrrh? It is over double of what any dignitary got in those days. Four times what a, a common burial would have. And how they'd use myrrh is they'd use it in different forms. As a cream, they'd wipe it on the body, then they'd get the, uh, um, the, the burial cloth, you know, and they'd wrap the body, and they'd put myrrh all around them. I'm wondering, I, I just one of those studies I didn't quite, like, what do they do with it all? Because you don't ever hear about the myrrh pop up. I said, that's a lot of myrrh. And I've been in uh, these tombs that they think is Jesus' tomb. They're not big, folks. 75 pounds of myrrh would take up some space. Um, so let's study together and find out. So you email me, okay? Um, but here's the thing. The wise men understood that this child would die. Much like John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, right? There he is, the Lamb of God. That is to be the sacrifice for our sins who takes away the sins of the world. This is what they're saying. This is the Lamb of God. He will die for our sins so that we might live. And what Nicodemus is saying, I believe, okay, put an asterisk by this, okay, means only kind of trust it, um, is I believe Nicodemus knew his prophecy of rising again. And because what they would do with myrrh is it's an antibacterial. It slows down the decaying process. And I believe, hey, we're going to do this a ton because this guy 
prophesy all this, and he's gonna rise again. So we're not gonna let any decay happen because we know he's going to die, but we know he's gonna rise again. So I think Nicodemus knew that and said, we're putting it all in there. We're gonna make sure this body is not touched with any decay, right? And hold that kind of lightly. That's Scott's thought. But understanding the power of what this child would do. So we see they were proclaiming with this myrrh that Jesus is the savior, that he's the rescuer, he's the anointed one, and he's the offered one. He's gonna die, Daniel 9, 26. I didn't read that, you can go there, but that prophecy continues to go. It says after um, the 62 weeks in there that the anointed will be killed, Uh, he'll be killed. They're prophesying this years and years earlier and they knew it. So as you look at myrrh, uh, I wanna finish with these thoughts. Um, see, myrrh, like I said, was very widely used, very widely used. Um, and so I believe another thing that they were making a statement with this myrrh is that myrrh was a, a, a part of sustaining that this child, Jesus is gonna sustain us in our journey here on earth as we wait to be with him in heaven and our salvation worked out. Hebrews 12, and you can, you know, if you're gonna read later, you know, look at 11, uh, chapter 11 and 12, it's all about faith, about the faith journey. Those who walked in faith, that we were called to walk in faith, and walked out. And it talks about uh, Hebrews 12 too, that we, uh, Jesus is the, the author, the originator, the pioneer, it depends what your translation says, lots of different things, but it means uh, he started it, right? Um, and then he's the finisher, perfecter, um, and what that means is he's gonna bring it to fullness, our faith, our salvation. And so what it, it's saying here is you can trust him. He's our sustainer. Jesus is gonna sustain us. He started this, he's gonna finish it, he's everything he said, and when you walk in faith, Jesus will be there for you. And so, like I said, myrrh has all these different uses, uh, but one of uh, some of the uses it has is for medicinal reasons, um, and as a help agent. And I'm gonna take you to Matthew uh, uh, 37, I think it is. is that Matthew 37, I'm gonna make sure I got it right. Uh, no, no, not Matthew, Matthew 24, 37, oh, 27, 34, good. I know it was late in Matthew. Um, but here's the deal, is that Jesus is on the cross, and uh, the Romans that are crucifying offer him up wine, and it says gall. This is the amplified, you tell that gall is just um, a different form of myrrh, okay? And we know they're brutal. This is actually them being a little bit nice. They're thinking, we know you're dying, and this is horrible, and we all know that in crucifixion, you know, they would break the legs sometimes, right? To allow you to die quicker. Well, this is a way, it's like a drug. Take this to help you out, right? To get through this difficult thing. Now, Jesus didn't take it. You know, he, his legs weren't broke because I think he bore the full weight of our sin. Uh, another sermon at every time. But the thing I want to point out is Jesus' compassionate care of us and our faith. That myrrh, that these wise men understood by giving myrrh that Jesus, this child, is going to grow and he's going to help us out. He's going to help us out through this. And he makes promises to us to help us, and it's all through scriptures, but just some thoughts about Jesus being our helper. Uh, Philippians 4.13, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, there's a context here of rest and finances and these types of things, but it is a, a truth all through the New Testament. 
that Jesus helps us out. He will empower us, give us his, the Holy Spirit to give us power. That he's gonna give us strength to walk whatever road you're called to walk. And I know there's people here that need strength. You feel like you are at the end of your strength. Well, guess what? Jesus is with you. Lean on him. And I don't say that lightly because um, I'm not walking your journey, but I know he offers us strength for this journey, whatever we go through. He offers us perspective. Uh, in Philippians, um, he also says that this isn't our home. You know, we're not citizens of this earth. We're citizens of heaven. In fact, in John chapter uh, 14, his disciples are worried because Jesus says, I'm leaving. They're like, no, don't go, don't go. And he says this word, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you and you're gonna be there with me. And so it's important to say that he helps us by giving us perspective. Um, whatever you're going through, right, this isn't your home. This isn't your forever. It's your right now, it's your mission. Might I give you this picture? It's your job, it's going to work, right? M most of us, right, I'm blessed. I've got a job I just crazy, crazy love. Um, uh, but I remember the day that it was like, oh great, it's time to go to work. I used to work at a sawmill. You know, really, it's, I, I, I felt I worked 24 seven because I, I had nightmares about it during the night and then I got up and went and did it all day, right? Some of us know jobs like that, right? It, it's like this. Um, this is our job, we come and it's you know, hard, it's brutal, we're working, difficult, but we can't wait to get home. Can't wait to get home. Because in those days, you know, I was newly married and I had this beautiful wife and our life is just, we're just so blessed in our relationship. I got to come to home to that every night. Uh, and in this illustration that someday we get to go and be home for eternity. Don't have to go back to work, right? And so he changes our perspective and helps us out. And, and these wise men are understanding that with myrrh. And uh, they're understanding that as he helps us out, he also uh, heals us. He heals us. Because myrrh has these medicinal reasons. I mean, it is all these long, antibacterial, uh, helps with cancer. I was reading this stuff like, man, I almost want to start taking a shot of this thing. It's, you know, uh, I need myrrh right now, right? Um, it's incredible of all that this does. Uh, and, you know, so they would use it in biblical times as medicine. And we know Jesus is the healer, right? He comes in, we know he's created our bodies to heal themselves. And I really wanna encourage you to listen to our uh, Alpha Series message on healing that Josh and Pat did. It's amazing, gives lots of clarity and hopefully bring lots of, of hope. Uh, but he, he heals our bodies um, uh, to help us, you know, go through this life, right? It gives us strength. He heals our minds, Romans 12 too, right? You know, so that the renewing of our mind you know, it, it's our worship. It helps transform us and change. We get the mind of Christ, he says, so we can understand, understand the heart of Jesus and be Christ-like here and understand what our work is. So he heals our minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, ultimately heals our soul. Uh, to really finish, Isaiah 53, 5, the great prophecy that by his stripes we shall be healed. First Peter 224, I believe, uh, you know, echoes that. It says, remember what we know about our God, and now we find that in Jesus Christ.
by his stripes, we're gonna be healed. So in any and all these things, as sin has its way in us, around us, you know, it's here in this earth, you know, it came from Adam, um, and the whole creation groans because of it. Um, we're gonna be healed of all of that because of his stripes, because of this baby, this child. And we have to remember that. So Christmas should be a rescue story, right? That somebody paid the ultimate price. We say this a lot. Freedom isn't free, right? Man, our military folks out there, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Our combat veterans, you really, really know what we're talking about. It's true in the kingdom. Our freedom that we're promised is Romans 8, 2 is not free. It came through Jesus, the life of Jesus. But the great thing about that, the life of Jesus came through that as well. And he's gonna help us through this. He's gonna give us strength. He's gonna give us perspective. He's gonna heal us our minds, our bodies, and we're ultimately gonna be healed and with him forever. You know, when we say as Christians, they're in a better place, it's become kind of this trivial statement, hasn't it? Um, But we don't say it trivially, do we? We say it from deep conviction that there's a home that's not here. And Christmas reminds us of all this. That's why the wise men brought this. Um, They were acknowledging um, hope, you know, so as we look at our next steps and what we do, um, I want us to acknowledge what the wise men were acknowledging. Just kind of this overarching acknowledgement. When they came in, you know, this third gift, um, you know, because the whole thing was prophecy that inspired more prophecy. And um, I use this phrase with the teaching team. I, I think it's, you can't say it, but I'm gonna say it anyway. It's the most prophetic. I don't even think that's a real thing. The most prophetic um, gift of all of them. Uh, and what it's saying is, we understand what you're gonna do. We are so honored by you. We are so uh, blessed. We understand that we get to have access to you, but we understand the cost. Child, you're the rescuer, and you're gonna help out. Our hope is in you and you alone, right? Uh, This week, um, well, it was last week, someone came up to me and said, hey, Scott, yeah, hadn't been around a while, I had this gift for you. It wasn't even a Christmas gift, I think it was that long. And they handed me this little bag of, of goodies, if you would. Uh, thank you, and you talk. Um, and so we're driving down the road um, later, Sandy and I, and we're talking about this message, processing it. And she goes, hey, she pulls, opens the gift, and it was this, one of these essential oils. Um, some of you know who probably gave it to me, right? We have some <laughs> our oils people out there. Um, and it's called Hope. And so Sandy, Looks at it, has to borrow my reading glasses. I'll put that in there. Um, she goes, whoa, look, at, I'm not sure this is even uh, good. She goes, look at this. Well, uh, so gives me glasses, um, and I'm driving. You know what the number one ingredient is? Myrrh. Myrrh. And so I looked at the essential oil, and I just understood, you know, and they're saying, hey, um, what it does is intended to, in times of great tribulations and trial, to bring you calm, bring you peace, bring you joy. Right? And as I was reading this, um, that's cool. And I understand that Merck, you know, represent that. Maybe some short-term thing it'll do, do that. But I know there's a child that was given to us, that that was his purpose. 
to bring hope to us, to help us through dark times, difficult times, to draw alongside us, to bring us calm so that we can be a light to the world. People would look and wonder, how can you love like that? How can you have peace like that? It's different, it's not normal, it's out of this world. It's supernatural, it's divine. Only through this child and what he will do. So I wanna encourage us, as we're gonna sing, I'm gonna read a couple of verses and, and the band will take us through this. As we just think about the hope that is being acknowledged here. Romans 15, 13 says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And that whole section what it's talking, our belief is in Jesus Christ and the work that he is here to do. And when we do that, when we put our faith in this, we can have this hope that transcends all understanding in this world. So if you are here today, if you're online and you don't know that hope, you don't know a hope that lets you sleep at night, that lets you walk through, even if the road you're walking is difficult, but you know there's something greater at work and there's a future promise that you have confidence in. If you don't know that life, it starts with understanding this child, understanding what he would grow to do, and that was to go to the cross to die for our sins, right? To forgive us the sins so we can be in fellowship and relationship with him, that we can have access to him now and forever. And then he went to the grave and defeated the grave so that we would know that we will have victory over the death. Death does not have a grip over us as followers of Jesus. That is hope. And I think this world is desperate for understanding that hope again. That's what Christmas is. Now, uh, 1 Peter 1.3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. To what? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So this hope is alive and real. So Christian, I want you to know that hope. I want you to live that hope. I want you to breathe that hope in. I want you to exhale that hope. Hope is not just something we feel. It's something that we have, that we are because of Jesus. Do you know that hope? If you don't, I want to encourage you to step into it. Christmas is a perfect time, much like these wise men. I can only imagine what their life was leading up to this moment to say he's here. Hope is here. Jesus is here. I've got to imagine it changed their life. And I pray this Christmas would change your life, that you'd be somebody of hope and you'd live that out. And maybe you are struggling with that. I encourage you to come up with the prayer team and pray. Find me there. Find someone and step in. Say, I want to be a person who lives in the hope of Jesus and lets that overflow for my life. If you don't know that hope, Christmas is a perfect time. So I'm going to ask Josh and the team to lead us. Will you stand with us? Love you guys.